And as we start this morning, I want to share a, a little bit of a story from my own life. I don't often like to preach my own stories, but I do want to, to share something. Um, about 23, 22, 23 years ago, uh, I was in the midst of dealing with a really difficult season in my life, personal situation. Um, it was a hard place. It was dark. Like, it was one of those things where I was really wrestling uh, with the day-to-day realities of life. And I prayed a prayer during that season, and God answered that prayer. But it was one of those prayers where when God answered this prayer, and, and God answered it almost immediately, it's one of those rare times where I felt like I got a quick response from God. But it was one of those that as I started to understand that this prayer was being answered, I began wishing that God had left this prayer unanswered. Have you ever experienced something like that where you've, you've asked for God to get involved? You've said, God, I'll give this to you. I surrender. I need something. And then God shows up and you're like, wait, what is going on? You realize that God was answering your prayer in a way that you never expected him to. And so this, this story is, is about uh, a time where I, I went to camp. In, in high school, I worked at a church camp in Wisconsin. Uh, sometimes I'd work the whole summer as like a maintenance crew up there. Um, and this, this story happens during the, one of those summers. Now, the reason why that was significant was because my, my dad passed away when I was 16, unexpectedly, and threw kind of home life into a little bit of crisis. And it was one of those things where life kind of gets back to normal, but it never gets back to normal. You know what I mean? And so uh, home was hard. Um, my mom, my sister, and I kind of all struggled with dad's being with dad being gone in different ways. And one of the ways I wrestled with it was to leave home uh, and go spend the summer at a camp. And I was, like I said, I was 16, 17 years old, and I couldn't imagine that anybody had gone through anything as hard as what I was going through. You know what I mean? Like, it was one of those things. It, it bordered on pride in a weird sense. But it was, I looked at other people, and I'd hear them complain about something in their life, and like, yeah, but at least your dad didn't die unexpectedly when you were 16. Like, it was, it was one of those things that shaped my relationships with the whole world. And my heart was getting hard. And I didn't have any empathy because I thought I had it the worst. Um, and so I went to this camp to escape home to not deal with this. At least at camp, I could go through daily routine and didn't have to encounter you know, uh, hard conversations with my mom or the reality of home uh, not having my dad. And while I was at this camp, uh, a 13-year-old girl came up to me. Well, I, was, I think I was mowing grass in the, the big meadow there. And uh, so I stopped the mower and I said, you know, can I help you? And she said, somebody told me I should talk to you. And I said, okay, like, is there a problem with your cabin? Do you need weed whacking done? Like, obviously, I'm the maintenance guy. And she said, no. Um, a month ago, my dad committed suicide. And I haven't talked to anybody about it yet. And somebody said you would talk to me about it because you would understand. And in that moment, that hardness of my heart that had been building up over the years, it had probably been a year since my dad had passed, um, just kind of melted. I realized that um, what a gift God was giving me the opportunity to encourage and support and care for somebody else who had needs. But I was missing it because my heart was so hard, because I thought I had it the worst, because I thought um, nobody could have had things as bad as I had it. And so in that moment, this, this girl's conversation, we talked, and she didn't really tell me much, but I was glad that that conversation was an answer to prayer and that I was able to talk to her. And, 
But I left that conversation, and I began praying. And this is the prayer that God answered, and kind of wished that he didn't. I said, God, make me compassionate. Like, I am not who I should be. This difficult situations in my life have made me hard, and I, that's not who I want to be. I want to be compassionate. And so I began fervently praying for God to make me compassionate. Fast forward a couple weeks, I go home from camp, and relationships at home fall apart. Uh, girlfriend breaks up with me. Um, friends have some stuff going on. And anyways, relationships get difficult at home. Um, and then I hurt my knee and have to have a, a leg brace for two weeks. I couldn't work, so then I had some bills that started to pile up. I had you know, some, some basic bills. Um, I couldn't drive myself anywhere because I couldn't bend my knee because of the the brace, and so I had to rely on other people to get me where I needed to be. And I remember just all of this overwhelming me, and it was a Sunday morning at church, and during one of the, the songs, may have been actually during the altar call at the end, because um, that's what my church I grew up in did, I came forward, and, and three or four ladies of the church, older ladies of the church, came up and just... I mean, I'm up front, 17 years old, just weeping, I'm a mess. Like, I don't know which ends up. And I felt like my whole world was just falling apart. And I had prayed for God to help, and I didn't quite understand what was going on. And these ladies came up, and they just prayed for me. And they gave me a hug, and there's a lady, Shar, who's, like, hugs were, like, the best hug. She was everybody's grandma. And, like, while she was hugging me and telling me everything was going to be okay, I realized that God had answered my prayer to make me more compassionate. Not by snapping his fingers, and suddenly I was a different person. But leading me through a season where I needed to, to depend on other people, where I needed help from somebody else. Um, Scott transformed me. He softened my heart, but not by just magic, but by through other people being compassionate to me. And like I said, um, it was a prayer that God answered, but not the way that I, got, God, I expected God to. Um, and obviously, I still have some emotional attachment to uh, telling the story even years later. Um, but today we, we start a sermon series, like I said, uh, in which we look at how the word became flesh in Jesus so that it can become, the word can become flesh in us. It's, it's a story of what work is God doing in our life so that the world can see Jesus more clearly through us. If you're old-timey Nazarene, it's a holiness message. <laughs> it's a holiness series, the work, the transformative work of God in our lives. Our scripture for today comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, and then 21 uh, and 22. It'll be familiar to you if you've been around the church for any length of time. It's a pretty uh, uh, well-known story from the life of Jesus, um, but uh, it'll be on the screen or if you want to follow along in your Bibles. <coughs> As the people were filled with expectation, and were all questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then jumping to verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, 
and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Uh, pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, as I pray almost each and every week, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for these words on a page that you have preserved and you have guided uh, through history so that we today, uh, thousands of years after they're written down, have access and ability to read what you have to say to your people. We're grateful for the inspiration and the protection of all the different ways that you bring this word to us today. But more importantly, we are grateful for the word that becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. We are grateful for your teaching being embodied in your son and living amongst your creation in such a way that transformation can happen, that guides us in the ways of righteousness, that equips us to follow you with our whole hearts in the ways that you would have us to. And so, Father, we are grateful uh, that you have this son that you were pleased with that he was to come and to share and to teach, to work in our lives in such a way that sin and brokenness would be healed and forgiven, and that we may live as your children as well. We thank you and love you. Amen. Uh, so in this five or six verses, I think it's five verses that we read just a moment ago in Luke chapter three, there's a lot going on there, and we could spend a lot of different a lot of time going a lot of different ways with um, the content of these five verses. Um, I mean, the people thought John the Baptist might be the Messiah, so like we could explore who John the Baptist was and what he was up to. Um, that might have been an option some Sundays. Um, John says he baptizes people with water, but a more powerful one is coming that will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. Um, that's an interesting uh, statement that definitely requires some unpacking. Um, and then in the scripture, Jesus was baptized himself, which raises some questions um, around baptism. And uh, why would Jesus be baptized? And then the heavens opened up and uh, a, a, a Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Like we could talk a lot about like what's going on there and what, is, what does that all represent? <laughs> but today I want to start by focusing in specifically just on one verse and we'll broaden out from there. But uh, Verse 17, and I, I think I made a slide for that verse. Do we have that? Yeah. Um, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And I want to uh, focus on this scripture today because, for, for well, basically for two different reasons. One is because, personally, this is one that I probably skipped over the most as I read through it. Like, it seems like the baptism of Jesus is the most important thing. This just seems like a reference um, to something that maybe isn't as important or whatever. But for some people, this, this jumps off the page and this grabs their attention. And so, well, my reaction might be to, to minimize this. Other people, this is the point of this whole story. And so that's why I want to look at this today. Um, and for some people, this, this talk of winnowing forks and unquenchable fire and, and threshing... Um, it, it seems threatening or even maybe even dangerous. Um, I've talked to some people about this scripture in the past and, and they're in their mind's eye, they picture an angry Jesus, right? With his winnowing fork. They don't even know what a winning, winnowing fork is, but it sounds dangerous. It sounds aggressive. Um, 
An angry Jesus is about to clear the threshing floor. And again, threshing floor, not something that we're super familiar with. Um, not something that we use on a daily basis. Um, but threshing, that, like, again, sounds like a harsh word. It sounds maybe aggressive or hard. And then it says that the chaff will burn with an unquenchable fire. I mean, that's pretty t on the point, right? Like, unquenchable fire, that's, that's serious. It's not to be messed around with. This is, a, this is something that's a big deal. And for some people I've talked to, this, this whole verse has been kind of terrifying. It's been challenging. Um, and so our first attempt to this text might be to think that Jesus, what's going on here is Jesus is gathering good people into the barn, into the storage area, and the bad people, uh, the chaff, if you will, uh, will get separated out and burn in the flames of hell. Um, and if you think that the whole of Christian life is focused on what happens after we die, like if that's the whole point of Christianity is, is where do you go when you die, then that sounds like a proper interpretation of the verse. This is about heaven and hell, about Jesus sending good people to a good place and bad people to a bad place and all nice and tidy. Um, and then for some of us, we, we hear that and we think, well, this is good news because Jesus isn't angry at me because I'm one of the good people and it's, I'm glad I'm not one of the bad people that are the chaff. <clears throat> but let's take a moment to explore our text in a little bit bigger context. So what was the Bible talking about right before our verse about the winnowing fork, right? What was going on before a mention of the threshing floor or the unquenchable fire? So if you go to verse 16, it actually ends with the word fire. Um, it ends with the word fire. So immediately before verse 17, uh, we have this connection between verse 16 and 17, right? It ends with the word fire, and then in verse 17, we talk about fire. So what is verse 16 talking about? Right? He says, <clears throat> John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. One more powerful than I is coming. I am not un uh, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist is saying here that he baptizes with water, but someone else is coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, the original word in Greek for baptism means, like, completely submerge, right? To be... Um, completely dunked in water for the purpose of cleansing, for the purpose of cleaning, for purification. And so John is saying that one is coming after him who is going to immerse you or submerge you in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be completely dunked in the Holy Spirit and in fire for the purpose of purification and cleansing. So without going very far, only looking at the nearest verse, we can start to see that this verse 17 about winnowing forks and unquenchable flames in proper context really isn't about the eternal flames of hell or the safety of the holy barn of heaven. The fire in verse 16 is mentioned in the context of baptism. It's a purifying fire. It's a cleansing fire. So let's focus on threshing and winnowing now. Threshing is the process by which grain is broken apart in, into its parts, right? So uh, you have grain and then you, you smash it, heavy stone or some sort of tool, and you smash it, and the wheat, um, you know, breaks into the parts. There's the kernels and the chaff and some straw. 
the husk that held the kernels and the straw, and then there's the, the, the good grain that you want to hold on to. Winnowing is the process by which the grain is separated from other elements in preparation for storage and for use. And so I think we have a, a slide that has an image of somebody using a threshing or a winnowing fork. This is the image. Um, they take the, the grain or the straw or whatever it is and they lift it up into the air and the, the chaff, the light parts that you don't want, get blown by the wind. And then the straw gets blown a little bit farther away and then the good grain falls down. Um, and that's what you want, right? It's collected and stored. John says, Jesus is coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and in fire, right? In a previous sermon I shared, um, and it goes back a ways if you, if you remember, um, but maybe not, that the word for spirit in the Bible, in the Old Testament's ruach, in the New Testament's pneuma, uh, can have multiple meanings. Um, it can be translated a couple different ways and is. Uh, sometimes it's spirit, sometimes it's breath, sometimes it's something else. Does anybody remember what the something else is? The one that's probably the least used or least recognized? It's wind. And so what we have here is John telling us that, that he cleansed and purified with water, washing away the surface stains of sin. But Jesus was coming to cleanse with a holy fire and a holy wind to blow away the unwanted chaff, to, to remove the unneeded straw from the situation. And the next verse says Jesus has his winnowing fork. What is the image that John is painting of what Jesus does? Jesus baptizes us in such a way that after being threshed with a heavy stone, with uh, the harvest then is picked up away from the floor, tossed in the air where the chaff is blown away. The straw is separated out, it's collected and burned, and the only the good, the pure grain remains. So Jesus and his winnowing fork, this, this verse 17, which upon my first reading sounds threatening or maybe a little bit aggressive, um, is actually a story that's not about God tossing people into hell. It's about a holy and loving Jesus who takes the harvest which he's gathered together, that he sanctifies it and purifies it. It's not a picture of punishment, but it's a picture of redemption of purification, of being made holy. And so this isn't a story about dividing good people and bad people. It's a story about the sanctifying work that Jesus wants to do in all of us. This isn't a story that's meant to divide all the people in the world into two camps, but rather it's a story that's meant to unite us all in the idea that God is at work and desires to make us all holy. That God cares enough about us and has a plan for us, and is at work in our lives, making us pure and holy. Uh, have you ever experienced anything similar to the story I shared at the beginning? Obviously, the details would be different, but have you ever experienced something where, where God or Jesus shows up in your life in such a way that you feel like you've been crushed by a heavy stone, or you feel like you're being broken apart, or you feel like you're being tossed in the air? Right? Because I could relate to that. As I start to understand this image of this verse of, of being crushed, of being tossed in the air, of being separated into parts, that's a great way for me to explain my experience those many years ago. I prayed to be more compassionate, but God didn't just show up, snap a finger, and there was a new me. Rather, 
God dealt with my hard heart. God dealt with my pride and my insecurities. God dealt with my sense of being alone, of being forgotten, of being inadequate in that situation. And some of that stuff blew away like chaff. Some of it, the wind blew and my circumstances changed or my attitude changed and it just kind of lifted away and was gone. The change of circumstances, new environments, the wind blew away some of that stuff. But much like the image of the threshing process, it really was only the chaff that blew away. There was stuff that remained. There was stuff that was deep down inside of me that, that, that needed more work that maybe needed to be <laughs> used a stone to get to. Have you experienced this? You find yourself in a hard place, struggling with some things, and then you hear God calling to you, right? Inviting you to, to take a step through a new door, inviting you to say yes out of faith, and God reveals a new path to you, and, and in faith you want to follow and say yes. Changing and growing can be hard, so you start to feel the work of God's threshing stone or God's winnowing fork as it starts to break you apart and throw you into the air. As you say yes to the next step that God is inviting you to take, the, some of the weight lifts and the chaff blows away and some of the things you wrestle with or ask God to help you with just float away. And if you've experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's, there's no other way to describe it other than to say that if you experience it, you know might be unlike anything else you've experienced before. But I want you to know something today, whether you're a, a new believer that has just experienced this for the first time or you're a lifelong Christian and this is your story, I want you to, to hear this truth today. And if we could put the next slide up. Um, this is what I want all of us to grab a hold of today. Jesus' mission isn't to make us happy. Jesus' mission is to make us holy. We live in a culture, we live in a society that tells us our happiness and our comfort is the indicator of how well things are going, right? And so this can be hard to understand at times. John, told the, Baptist, or John the Baptist told us that Jesus not only baptizes with the Holy Spirit, uh, a divine wind, but God baptizes us with a holy fire as well. My dad used to have a saying, and at the time when he said it, I was younger, I I thought he was just being silly, but as I've gotten older, it's made more sense to me. The saying was this, wherever you go, there you are. And I thought he was just being silly or whatever. But as, as I got older and tried to solve some of the, my own problems or, or fix some situations in my life, I realized the truth behind that statement. I've come to understand it to mean this. You can run away or walk away from many things. You can leave behind bad situations. You can find a fresh start in a clean slate. Like we're in January, the whole new year, new you thing, right? Like we turn the page and we expect everything to be better. And yet, if the source of the problem is inside of you, then you're just gonna make a mess of that new clean slate. I know that's been my experience. Well, I start over, clean slate, you start new and fresh and I bring the baggage and my brokenness with me. As a pastor, uh, I've seen people go through a divorce because their old marriage is terrible. The baggage and brokenness of all the years kind of weighs heavy on it, and so they step out of that relationship, and then they find a new relationship, and it's easy, and it's fun, 
and it's, it's, it's light, and there's, there's no baggage behind it. There's no years of arguments or conflicts that have been unresolved. And, and for a moment, for a season, it seems great and wonderful. I finally met my soulmate and all that, right? I've seen this. But then after a while, the new relationship, the new marriage starts to feel a little bit like the old one. Why? While situations and circumstances have changed, the person in the relationship is still the same. Wherever you go, <laughs> there you are. The same can be said for jobs or your social circles or churches or schools or communities. How many times have you heard or maybe even said, I've just got to get out of this place. Everything that is wrong with my life, everything that I'm frustrated with, everything that I hate about my life right now is either the circumstances or the people that I'm around. <laughs> if I could just get in a different situation or around different people, my life would be better. We tend to think by default that our, uh, the biggest problem, the thing that we wish God would fix, the thing that we ask God to address is our circumstances, our situation. But for really, the most important work that God can do, the most important meaning of Jesus coming and dwelling amongst us, the most important significance of the incarnation is that Jesus is doing the transforming work of baptizing us with fire. And that's why I'm preaching this message today there are many of us here today, many of us that are part of this church, that I know for a fact are doing their very best to be faithful. We're trying to figure out how to keep saying yes to God. We are trying hard to follow Jesus. But when we step out in faith, when we say yes to God about something, sometimes life got harder rather than easier. There are many God-loving Jesus followers here today who are going through a season of baptism by fire. And I'm not saying that God causes bad things to happen to us. Um, like, I, I just, that's not the picture of God that I get from the Bible. Like, God's going to punish us or put us through difficult situations just for his entertainment or whatever. But I do believe that God is at work in many of our lives using the hard things, using the difficult things in our lives as an opportunity for us to grow to be more like Jesus. In these difficult seasons, in these difficult moments, in these difficult situations, there's an opportunity for transformation to occur. There's a breaking down of the grain into its components so that the parts that need to go can be identified. Right? The things that we need to get rid of can be, can be separated from the things that we want to keep. And when the winnowing is done, all that is left is good grain. Many of us are experiencing this type of winnowing. God is at work in our lives, breaking apart something. God is blowing some things into the air, right? And that can be a hard place to be. It can be uncomfortable, even painful at times. This winnowing can be disorienting. It can be confusing. One of the hardest parts of going through a season like this is that the people around you have no idea what you're experiencing. So the people around you might not understand what you are going through. And because of that, it can be isolating. You might feel lonely. And the point of today's message is to let you know something important. This is not God punishing you. God is not angry at you. This is not a result of an angry God being vindictive. God has not forgotten you or abandoned you or left you behind. In fact, it's because of God's love for you that God wants to make you holy. 
is because God loves you so much that God wants to purify and cleanse your life. God wants to make you more like Jesus, not because he, he's narcissistic and expects everybody to be just like him, but because he knows there's peace and freedom in a life shaped like Jesus. And so I believe that our God is a good God and desires the best for us. God is active in the world. And he's active to restore and redeem us. And so this isn't about being good enough. This isn't about measuring up. It's, it's about being made whole. It's about being made holy. Being baptized by fire is an act of a loving God that is setting us free from all that imprisons us. It's the act of a loving God setting us free from everything that holds us back. It's an act of a holy God that, that sets us free from anything that keeps us from being who God intends us to be. And like I said a few moments ago, we're a culture that is so used to using our level of comfort as an indicator of whether things are going right or wrong. If I'm happy or comfortable, these are obviously the right things. And if I'm uncomfortable or unhappy, obviously these are the wrong things. Or maybe if things aren't going right, God is mad at me, or I've messed up, or, um, you know, I try to gauge my level of faithfulness based off of what's going on in my circumstances or, or situation around me. But I want you to know that God is not mad at us. We haven't messed up when you experience baptism by fire. This is the mission that Christ came for. You might be thinking, I've said yes to God, I've taken the next step, and instead of everything in my life coming together, falling into perfect place, I've entered into a season that's uncomfortable. Instead of God adding things to my life, God starts stripping things away from my life. Maybe instead of God helping me to be comfortable right where I'm at, God starts pulling up roots that I've long put down. If this is your experience, I want you to know something right now. God is at work in our lives, even when we aren't happy about the circumstances. Life being hard is not an indicator that God isn't present or at work. Like, just because I'm uncomfortable doesn't mean that God is not at work in my life. In fact, I might be uncomfortable because God is challenging my hard heart. So first, I want to remind you of the message that I just shared a moment ago, this truth that I want you to grab a hold of today. Jesus' mission isn't to make us happy. His mission is to make us holy. But the good news I have for you today is that holy people are happy people. <laughs> right? So don't go pursuing happiness. Holiness will lead us to the happiness that God has for us. The Word became flesh in Jesus so that the Word can become flesh in us. We can live a life shaped by Christ. Not only trusting Jesus when God is changing the things around us, but, you know, God's blowing away the chaff and, and crushing the things in our lives that need to be just broken apart and taken away. But when the baptism of fire comes and God turns his attention towards what's inside of us, that's grace. That's God at work in our lives. Having God shape you into the person that God wants you to become requires real transformation. And real transformation isn't just about circumstances or behaviors. It's about hearts being changed. It's about attitudes being changed. It's about our priorities being set by God rather than our own desires. In a world that tells us comfort 
is the highest priority, allowing God to transform you will feel unnatural. But I invite you to do it anyways. God is inviting us to be God's holy people. People that are set apart for good works. And so I invite you today to allow Jesus to work in your life by being an active disciple and taking your steps, maybe even your next step of faith. Back in the fall, I introduced uh, briefly this idea of one plus one plus one uh, as a definition of our disciple. And the ones in there, the one plus one plus one, is worship and connect and serve. Right? The word becomes flesh in Jesus so that the word can become flesh in us. And we believe here that, that people grow into the image of Jesus, that God works this redemptive work as we worship God, as we connect in fellowship and in community with each other, and as we serve one another and our community in love. So as we walk in faith with Jesus, he makes us more like him.